Uh, I named my younger brother Brandon after my favorite character in 90210. Yeah. When I was like four. You got to you name, got to your, name brother? your brother? Yeah. That's amazing. I've never <laughs> no, heard no, of this. okay, sorry. My parents didn't my parents didn't ask me, Hey, four year old little Chris. Like what do you oh, okay. I was just like they were like, You're gonna have a brother and I said, Oh, awesome. I think we should name him Brandon. And they were like, Well, we'll see, yeah, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And then I just started telling all my family members, I'm gonna have a brother and he's gonna be named Brandon. Yeah. And at a certain point they were like, All right, whatever. <laughs> So you he's, did name your brother. Brandon. Yeah, no, I named him. Yeah. <laughs> this is a mistake. This is this is a mistake. I'm Martha Ellen. I'm Josh. And uh, Shelby is actually sick this week, so she's Sorry, not Shelby. with us. <laughs> but we're joined by. My name is Chris Izor. <laughs> that was awkward um well chris we're really glad to have you here um, glad to be here why on josh's bed yes yeah, of course well he just got i've heard be, a lot about it yeah pod, i mean most know, people so. have yeah i always like to ask what they think of it you are the first guest True. to sit on the new mattress topper Hell yeah. I mean, it's comfortable. Yeah. It's great. As a as a bed couch, it works, uh-huh. definitely. That's good. Perfect. I asked Josh how he slept as soon as he got the topper on there. He said, I didn't. So you didn't? No. It's too I comfy. It, yeah. I think I'm not used to it. Does it have the the little peaks? The or egg, is it just a flat? It's a flat. It's like, like a, a memory, foam? memory foam. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of memory foam mattresses or memory foam uh, toppers. Yeah. Sometimes going as far as to even use two different four-inch toppers. Yeah. Whoa. And I'll tell you that it's not worth it. Really? I think the, uh, I think the firm mattress bed mm. works better for me. That's what I have. Well, someone gave him this topper, so. Yeah, it was free. Well, so that was very no kind money of that person. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Anyway, so the mattress so, is great. Thanks. Um, Good. The bed's nice. We can only spend an hour on that. <laughs> <Cut that so. laughs> right. We're good at short yeah. this week. All right. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is running the That's show. That's right. We yeah. Got it. Well, yeah. Welcome, welcome, Chris, to our uh, six-hour episode where we just riff on mattress toppers and lost and TV shows. Yeah. Somebody's got to fill that void. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah Chris well, is coming back next week for the next season of yeah. Lost. <laughs> Why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, just some information about yourself? So my name is Chris. I am a uh, 28 almost 29 year old person and my the job that i do currently is i work with one of your previous guests Mm -hmm. hannah mills at make birmingham which is briefly um a shared studio space for artists and makers of different sizes i do operations which is just being the the building landlord more or Mm -hmm. less um I talk to all the makers there, make things good. We come up with strategies to raise money. I say raise money like we're a nonprofit. We we come up with strategies for revenue. Yeah. We do a little bit of, there's a little bit of marketing involved. There is some plumbing that has to be done. <laughs> um, Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Every day, you know, I've got sort of a running list of stuff to do, but I also just go in and figure out what today looks like mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and so how I got to do that 
is that I studied English in college, which is a direct path to no specific job. <laughs> and so, yeah, me too. right, yeah, my hell major yeah, right? completely. Mine too. Um, do you, are you thereof? <laughs> are you English majors, or did you just pick things no. that have no direct path? College dropout. Human college dropout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Human development and family studies, with a focus in middle childhood and adolescence. Is that like a psychology? <laughs> It's department? kind of psychology, kind of counseling. Yeah. Um, I can't do anything really without getting my master's. Right. It it leads you into the helping profession. And so I literally had a You're class. You're in the care profession. Mm, had a class where people would come in and for an entire semester, someone different would come in every single week and tell us like job options we could do and like right. what, which career path they took. And so it was like, child life so you work in a hospital or nonprofit world and you that opens up a whole nother ball game of like what type of nonprofit you're going to work for yeah and then there was parent education and then there was counseling and then there was like some people even went into nursing with it but nothing without getting your master's and i didn't care to do that so i didn't so now i don't use it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well i studied english and we didn't have anyone come in to tell us what we could or couldn't do. Mm, yeah. It was, I went to Alabama and I'm not from the South originally. My family's from the Tampa area and nobody really from the Tampa area has a lot of roots in the Tampa area for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, and so my family's from largely like upstate New York. And then my dad's family's, Air Force, they traveled a lot, but originally from sort of rural Ohio. Mm. Um, so my parents grew up in Florida. I was born there, but we moved to, as a family, moved to Hoover when I was uh, eight years old, I think. Mm-hmm. And my dad was working for AmSouth at the time, which merged mm. with the region. So he's been working with them for a long time. But anyway, that's how we got here. And we were not like churchgoers or... We, I mean, I already had weird prejudices against the South just based on the media that yeah. mm. everyone had said. I was like, do they wear shoes? And it was like, <laughs> yeah. looking back, it was like, that's pretty prejudiced, little Chris. <laughs> um, everyone does it. Yeah, but it's it's just because of the media, you know, media stuff. So, but anyway, so I've never really felt like super part of here. And so I'd always imagined going away to school to yeah. the big city and to... I didn't never know what I was going to do. Um, but as I went through high school, I was good at writing being a, I was good at being a communicator. Mm-hmm. I was in leadership type positions. Mm. I kicked ass at high school. I was very committed to high school <laughs> and success as high school defines it. Yeah. And then I went to college, um, at Alabama, um, in part because it was, it appeared at the time to be the inexpensive option Looking back, I'm not totally sure that that was the truth. Right. But as, you know, I was the first in my nuclear family to yeah. go away to school like that. And so. A whole 45 minutes down the road. You know, I, it, like <laughs> it sounds, you know, but like the difference no, between that and like when my dad was going to get his degree after he had kids, you know, and was just like working a job and then getting his degree and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I was the first person to like pursue college as an end in itself. Right. Yeah. And because of that, I was sort of a test case or a guinea pig in a way for a lot of these new experiences. And what that meant was that 
I, I didn't really know what I was doing there. This was uncharted territory mm. before. Mm-hmm. And so while I was there, I just, I, like I said, I, was, I worked really hard in high school and I just didn't work that hard in college. I still got a 4.0. I still studied English Hi. and like graduated very close to the top, yeah. you know, of like our graduating class. Um, but I just didn't have to work that hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I was in English where you, you read and you write. And as long as you can communicate an idea effectively, at least in the school of Alabama, um, you can distinguish yourself in that way. Right. Um, but what I learned during college was all the non-college things that mm. you're supposed to learn, which is um, how to not interact in you know personal relationships. Yeah. Um, what are good roommates and what are bad roommates. Yeah. Um, you know, what are all these, like, what is it like to be an, an adult? Um, and so that was all great. But what that meant was that when I graduated, it was like, all right, what now? Um, so for me, I got into, while I was in college during the summer times, I worked in Birmingham as just sort of like a help to this education nonprofit that does statewide AP program development Mm -hmm. in high schools around the state. Um, So I have sort of competing views about this work now. Um, One is that it's really great for places like suburban Huntsville um, or Gadsden that may have a lot of potential in their students, but that are otherwise don't have a lot of resources. Um, And that network of connections to, some of the great instructors that I had in AP programs in high school, you know, who would go there and work with their students, you know, Mm -hmm. and these sort of study sessions and all that stuff that that was helpful. But in the end, like it's a nonprofit that is kind of funded by Exxon mobile and it gets like kind of complicated from there. And there's this, this is my, this is the story of my work, by the way, my like (laughs) professional life is that I go somewhere excited to do, somehow like society shifting work right. and do good work. And then about six months later, I really see like the grit yeah. and yeah. what we're doing and things start to get really problematic and it's difficult for me to square those things together. Mm-hmm. And so my work history is like one year work here and then get so fed up, then go to this new place and yeah. then something doesn't work out there, go to this new place, feel the same way, leave, do this thing but i've been at make for almost three years now wow. which is insane yeah yeah i think some of that is just maturing a little bit yeah. um and not feeling like the a feeling of discontent about my professional life necessitates like oh i just gotta quit my job and do something else right you know? um, but also because it's a good job you know yeah. like i get i have a great amount of autonomy as a person there um and I'm I'm part of a leadership about how the business goes, and mm-hmm. that's been really cool. And you know, we're we're a small business in a gentrifying neighborhood, and so there are all kinds of questions about those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I think that those are questions that we, as the staff of Make, are open to having with each other, um, and it's not something that we're just not supposed to ask about, or right. you know that that's not necessarily seen as negativity Mm -hmm. um, to be thoughtful about those things and to put them in perspective. Yeah. So that's been really cool. 
Um, but anyway, so my, who I am and what I do is sort of like strategy and operations and some communications for small nonprofits and then now an art maker space. Yeah. Interesting. That's me. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just kind of, I like the fact that it's personally, this appeals to me that it's not a in the box. This is what I do. It's kind of like you were saying every single day I walk in and I'm like, okay, I know what I need to accomplish for today. And then surrounding that, like make just seems like a place where it's constantly, every single thing is different and every day is going to be kind of different. So to me, that would be appealing to stick around for a a period of time where you are constantly having to think in different ways. Cause I feel like I would just go personally go crazy in a place where I'm like, do the same thing every single day. It's just not the way that I'm built. Yeah. It's a great, like flexible place Mm -hmm. to work. And I've learned how to screen print. I have made a lot of different new skills. Like I've Mm -hmm. earned a lot of new skills doing things there. Um, I had to do a lot of troubleshooting um, when like the light's not working. And it's like, why isn't the light working? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of damage control (laughs) sometimes. Like, you know, the power goes out in Avondale, which happens like once a week during the summer. Cool. We just, you know, it's like, okay, well, what do we do now? You know, I just like know the people that are under the most danger because of that Mm -hmm. with their business or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And so I just have to work with them. I, you know, figure out what's going on with that. Yeah. I mean, I've watched the business grow over those years and it's been really cool to watch this artist space and this hub of creativity change and bloom and, um, evolve as the people who go to work there evolve as well. Right. So that's been really cool. So like I said, I went to school, didn't know what I was doing, somehow managed to skate through. I did have one moment of realization during school when I said this was a mistake. Um, (laughs) and that was, it was pouring rain. This is not, this doesn't count. Um, <laughs> you can share it as many mistakes uh, yeah, as okay, you okay, like. Okay, okay. So <laughs> it was, no it was my junior year and I had just started living off campus and it was, it might've even been my senior year. Jeez. So I knew that I was going to study English and I had said, well, I will minor in French. And so for the, I took French 101, 102 over my sophomore year, and I was like, this is great. I am appear to be good at this. Mm-hmm. I've never really been that good at foreign language, but I appear to be good enough at this. And I was like, well, the hard stuff's coming, but I'll get through it. Mm-hmm. And I got into the 200-level class, and what I quickly understood was that my professor for the first two classes was super super easy yeah and i was way in a shit storm that was not good (laughs) and so it was maybe october it just before the uh, drop deadline for that class Mm -hmm. was and i woke up late it was pouring rain i drove to campus parked in a parking deck that was a 20 minute walk away on exam day. Ugh. And I was, I had, was so unprepared 
and I felt it. And so I just sat in this parking deck. <laughs> the pouring rain is like just making noise around <laughs> yeah. me. And I was just like, shit. <laughs> like, I'm either going to fail this exam or drop this class. Mm. If I drop this class, what has to happen? And so I was sitting there on my phone just like figuring out what do I have to do as an English major? Yeah. And so I changed my major sitting in the car there. Wow. To creative writing, which was easy because I'd already gotten a bunch of English classes in. Right. You know, I was already on my way to a creative writing. (laughs) But yeah, in that moment I got, I got there and was just like, this truly was a mistake (laughs) (laughs) thinking that I could do this, thinking it was a good idea to major in French thinking that that I could just skate through it like I had before. Mm. But anyway, so I went through college Mistake after mistake after mistake. <laughs> I've got plenty of them. They're not all going to get discussed. But um, I think that's funny because, uh, you know, some of your guests have that really positive outlook about things. And they right. say, you know, this was a mistake, but it wasn't really a mistake. Yeah. You know, it ended up working out in the end. And, like, I get that. I understand that perspective because right. everything works out in the end. Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, some things are mistakes, and let's call them mistakes, you know? And I, I think I suppress those. Like, I can't actually remember them. Therefore, yeah. they did not have an impact on my life. And every now and then, they'll come back up, and I'm like, oh, that thing. There's a reason I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah. It really does feel like just my life is just a series of mistakes. Yeah. And, I mean, again, I have, like, I have a job. I have a girlfriend. I have two cats. Um, I have a family. I've I've never been evicted. You're paying your bills. I'm paying my bills. Yeah, you know, like Life is I pretty good. I even pay my student loans. That's you know impressive. I might get out of them when I'm 40, but <laughs> you know, uh, I you know paying. I I'm not a default. I've got a good credit score, and so because of all those things, it seems like well, he must be doing well for himself. But truly, it's mistake after mistake <laughs> after mistake. <laughs> so let's fast forward to that. Finish college. Moved to Birmingham, worked for this education nonprofit. It was like 60 hours a week. It was intense. It was kind of just above my pay grade. They chose me because I'd worked there as an intern before. And I said, all right, I got to get out of here. And after the end of that school year, I said, I'm going to move on to Jones Valley teaching Mm -hmm. farm. They had just opened up an AmeriCorps program for fellows. Um, They were taking on eight people. And my understanding was that they were going to take on some people to do classroom work and then some people to do um, farming work Mm -hmm. and with one graphic designer in there. And so I was like, well, I'll join the farm and education team and just see where I can help, you know? And so during my interview, I think I displayed some confidence and they liked that. And then the executive director was like, we actually want to do this other position, which is, development you know Mm -hmm. which is again it's not operations what i do now but it's like fundraising it's more creative messaging Mm -hmm. it's a communications side thing i ended up being the producer for a lot of the marketing material they put out there and the fundraising campaigns right um so that ruled yeah that was i mean i made eleven thousand dollars a year (laughs) as an americorps vista so that sucked yeah Um, but i met some of the best people i've ever met it was a really cool experience one year in and we had like kind of talked about me continuing on after that year was up as some kind of 
staff member on the organization. And it appeared that that was not going to materialize the way that I wanted it to. So I needed a job. And I said, well, I love local food. I've just been here. It's been one of the most enriching experiences of my life. What can I do that's local food here? That's like something new and fresh and that I can have a hand in the strategy and the stuff behind it. And at the time, there was... How long have y'all been in Birmingham? I moved here in 97 and left for eight years and came back. Just two years. Okay. Did y'all ever know about the business Freshfully? No. I, I Faintly. Okay. So it opened where Saturn is right now. Okay. Okay. And the premise behind Freshfully is sort of a farmer's market that you can always go to. And, uh, uh, you know, you know what a CSA is like Mm -hmm. a farm box, something like that, but that you don't have to necessarily subscribe to. It's just going to be in a grocery store type setting, but they would also do like community. I know exactly. You're like, what an amazing idea. Right. And it was not amazing as a business. (laughs) This, I was not involved with that business. Gotcha. That was, that came before that was while I was at, maybe at a plus and then later at the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue there is that produce spoils. Yeah. yeah. And it spoils quickly. And especially as a small startup business, True, it's, yeah. you know, they had management issues. They didn't have a lot of funding in the get go. They won some Avondale brewing, like $10,000 startup business uh. prize. And then just kind of like coasted from there. Yeah. And it was just, it was a business that, I think the owner who is going to go unnamed on this pod, um, <laughs> although I think people can figure it out. Let's call her Jill. <laughs> she learned a lot through that experience, but I think was a big part of the mismanagement of it. Mm-hmm. And she had a background in marketing, mm. not in grocery. Mm. And so as a marketing professional, she was able to bounce back from that somehow because of TEDx Birmingham, she mm. gave a speech about it was the first one, the first TEDx Birmingham. It was at the Alice Stevens Center. She gave a speech about how it is okay to fail, which is funny enough. Eighty percent of TED talks are yeah. just it's okay to fail, right? Yeah. Um, but she talked about what she learned through that kind of experience, and from that was able to negotiate a space in Uptown called bottle and bone Um, do you know about this uh, continue (laughs) so uptown for those uninitiated listening has i think seven business spaces total and at this point aside from octane which is not really a local business yeah all six of the ones that had been filled in 2014 were all out of they were not local businesses Mm. and so they wanted to have someone local there and so they did they brought in who sorry jill (laughs) 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 they brought in beep (laughs) (laughs) if you could beep that out that would be actually you say we'll call her beep (laughs) (laughs) um 
<laughs> so <laughs> they brought in Jill. <laughs> and, you know, what she had said before was her, you know, her read on the situation, why did my first business fail, was produce is really hard. Produce spoils very quickly. Not everybody needs it all the time. Seasonally, it's hard to do because, you know, you get in a shit ton of watermelons and, like, everyone's not going to buy up all your watermelons. Right. And so you got to figure it out. What she did was she pivoted to things that don't spoil quite as much, which is alcohol, beer, and wine, which mm. there wasn't – I mean, there was, like, Op City, but there yeah. wasn't really any kind of, like, consistent wine option selection right. outside of that. Um, and then craft beer, there wasn't really anything downtown at that point. Mm-hmm. So she pivoted to things that don't spoil, beer and wine, and – meat because meat has a shelf life of something like 30 days you know once it's cut versus produce which is like 30 hours Mm -hmm. right um so she was pitching this to like the bjcc you know and like some of these like very you know i'll just go ahead and largely say like wealthy suit types which is Mm -hmm. mostly men yeah in their 40s and 50s and 60s yeah and so when she said beer and meat to these guys Dumb. they were like you got it yeah we'll pull you. this is great Anything. this is exactly what we yeah. need oh, oh, oh you know <laughs> like i want bacon right now. and so that's how that all worked and i didn't really know all this at the time this is all stuff that i kind of found out later mm-hmm. um what i knew was that it was the summer of 2014 and I was ready for a job there. And I had heard that this person, Jill, was <laughs> starting this business. And I was directed there by a couple friends. And so I reached out to her and I said, hey, Jill, I we may have met before once or twice in passing, but I just finished working here. I'm interested in a job for something in local food these are kind of the skills that I have. I'm not really sure what would be great, but maybe there's something I can do. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, great. You can be our first employee because the <laughs> yeah. business was not open at that point. Right. It was just an idea. Yeah. So I came on that August and it was, or maybe even before that. And so I was there during the recipe development stage. Mm. I was there during the, business negotiation with the build out company stage. It was, I saw somehow I became this like humongous player in this business. Right. And I'll tell you at this point, I am again, 24 years old. (laughs) My, my professional experience is a little bit of nonprofit and working as an AmeriCorps Vista fundraising agent Mm -hmm. fundraising lackey. Right. For a very small downtown farm that was very supportive of me. Yeah. I am not a hard restaurant business negotiator. I'm not a hard front of house, like, waiter that's like, you know, if you don't like your spaghetti, man, fuck you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no experience. I mean, I cooked a lot at that time. Um, at the time, I was a vegetarian mm-hmm. um, and had been for, you know, seven years, maybe. Wow. Um, and so you may be asking, Chris, why were you drawn into meat? Yeah. But it wasn't that I was drawn into meat. It's that I was drawn into the idea of a local food business. Right. And okay. if there was one way to do meat, to me, it was to prioritize local farmers, 
to get to know them, mm. to bring them in, mm. to promote the idea of eating local meat to the Birmingham customer base. That mm-hmm. seemed like spot on to me. Yeah. Uh, but also beer and wine. I was starting to get interested in those uh, because of all the food events that we did through Jones Valley. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a little bit. We open, I think it's maybe October, November. At this point, we've gone through just like layers and layers of challenges through these things. Yeah. We don't have a consistent chef who's going to be there. We had somebody who helped us make the menu. We had somebody who helped us train the people, but it's not a, there's no real consistent chef. Yeah. We've got a butcher, but butchery is a really finicky art. And so it doesn't, you know, you bring in say uh, a one ton cow You know, you start slicing it up and you can get some like commodity cuts out of it, Mm -hmm. um, the steaks that you're used to, but you also get a bunch of weird cuts. Right. And you can use those. They're great. There's definitely stuff you want to do with them, but like grass fed beef, you know, these like antibiotic free, hormone free, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, raised stuff is expensive. And somebody like going out on a limb to spend like, $25 $25 a pound for this weird like neck round or yeah. something that yeah. you've never heard of right. is kind of weird. And so that's like that situation, the beer and wine situation is funny because I hired, um, the Birmingham cyborg. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you know this guy, but yeah, he was like the G- Google glass, like adopter, in Birmingham and <laughs> that's so weird that I've heard of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's still around. He's yeah. like doing stuff. We have a okay relationship. You know, we don't, I don't think there's any animosity between us. Yeah. But like I suddenly had to hire as a 24 year old, like 10 people Yeah. for my front of house staff. And right. foolishly I hired a shit ton of people who had almost no restaurant experience mm. because mm-hmm. we connected, you know, I yeah. like them yeah. and it's like, it was to me, it was like a movie in a way, you know, yeah. like we're just the scrappy like yeah. thing. We're doing things fun. We're mm-hmm. making ends meet or whatever. And so again, this was like mid fall. This is about this time of year. Mm-hmm. You know, we open up things, start doing fun. You know, we're, we're bringing in people because of, uh, we're a new business. We're a new restaurant. Right. Everyone wants to go get the bacon flight. Yeah. You yeah. know, you've heard of a beer flight. It's just bacon, six different types of bacon instead. You know, Whoa. we, we start doing some events. Our, you know, head honcho is good at marketing. And so she pushes out a lot of different stuff. Right. And it's all seeming okay. Except that I also know that the business is not bringing in enough money mm-hmm. and the build out was insanely expensive we're in a space that is way too large for the kind of business that we're running. I went there and it was like, it's massive. It was huge and it was very beautiful. Like they did a great job, but it was kind of like this. I had the thought when I went in, I was like, this is an interesting, this is a cool concept and I like it, but this is, it feel like it should be a cafe feel and not like, I mean, there's a pieology there now. Like it's, yeah, a huge space. It could have been done. I mean, you know, the, the butcher room itself needed to be large enough to work in. But right. Right. It could have been done in one third yeah. of the size of that space. For sure. Um, and that would have been 
it might even still be open if that were to happen. Yeah. But anyway, so it's just not, it's not, it's not feeling like it's materializing very well. Mm. There's friction between members of the staff. There are a lot of times where the, the people who are running this day to day aren't really sure what they're doing. They're not really sure what's going on. I am in over my head. I'm working something like 70 hours a week. I have no, I mean, I understand beer and wine. I can like definitely fake my wine knowledge well enough, Yeah. but I can't manage a staff of front of house and back of house every single day and make us money. You know, I can do one or the other maybe, but there was a time where I was, I had to go back through the books and like, code a bunch like six months worth of expenses in quickbooks oh. in like oh. 24 hours Jeez. to be able to submit a report to some of the investors it was like i was i mean but but we were in a restaurant you know it was fun we were selling <laughs> yeah, wine we we're selling yeah. beer you know it was great people <laughs> yeah. were there they were excited to be there they were interested in all this stuff so we decide that we are going to host a new year's eve event and be open until two or three in the morning on Mm -hmm. new year's eve and so we do and we recruit um preston loving good who is a former employee of mine at (laughs) bottle and bone i hired preston to this day one of my favorite people yeah and he performed and he brought in the crowd that preston does um we had like a ramen night which was weird. It wasn't very meaty, but like yeah. we had just like a, a cool thing. It was like late night ramen, right? Which there wasn't any of in town at that point. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was great. Everyone was getting a little boozy, including the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. You know, it was kind of sort of the end of the year. But the thing is, we had also committed to doing New Year's Day brunch, oh, which gosh. is a common thing what? that some restaurants do. Yeah. yeah. And so we were going to start at 11 o'clock on New Year's Day. And we get there at, I don't know, 9.30. I'm there on staff. I don't think the owner is coming in until the afternoon or something like that. And we've been doing brunch for a little while. And it was okay, but we always kind of got a little bit caught off guard by brunch. Because everyone shows up right at 11. It's too much for the kitchen to handle at once. And so everyone gets flustered about it. Um, especially a bunch of amateurs, you know, so 11 o'clock rolls around New Year's day brunch has gone around, uh, you know, the marketing circuit. So we've got a line of maybe 20, 25 people and that's great. And so we start taking orders and I'm in the front of house. I'm taking orders, making sure that everyone's good, getting people their orange juice and all that. And, it's like 11.05, and I start to smell something, mm. and I don't know really what it is, Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot more noise and voices in the kitchen, which is just through the pass-through window over my left shoulder right. than I really, I was used to hearing, but I've got a bunch of customers out here, and so I want to stay focused on them, and so I continue to take orders. And one of my coworkers in front of house said, Hey, Chris, I think that you need to go to the kitchen. And so I look back and I see that there is a pillar of smoke coming out of both the pass through window and the swing door to the kitchen. 
and I like go over to there, like I'm looking, like I'm calling into them, right? And I see that the entire oven is on fire. Oh and gosh! Uh-uh. Yeah, and I see our butcher at the time is there like basically towel whipping yeah. <laughs> this fire to just try and get it out because right. it's a grease what? fire. You can't yeah. put anything on it. Right. And he's doing that. And the, 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 the person who would sort of become the chef at that point, he was also just looking around confused and like the order ticket printer just keeps printing right. like tickets after tickets <laughs> after tickets <laughs> And like they're all looking around, and I just go to the I go to the register, and I'm like, "Hey, we just need to pause for a second. Just don't take any more orders right now." And yeah. they're confused as hell by that. Yeah. Um, and so I look back there, and I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And our chef at the time looked at me with like tremendous fear in his eyes, and he said, "We're not doing it." And I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. But it meant that he immediately walked st- – he had a fire extinguisher next to him, <laughs> which he just didn't think about. And so he walked through this crowd of people to the bathroom's fire extinguisher, walked straight back, and had to spray the whole kitchen. And when you do that, you can't serve any of the food. You right. have to throw yeah. it all away. Yeah. And so that was done. I mean, the smoke continues to sort of just pour out in the main area to the point that people kind of start coughing. <laughs> Oh and we God. have to basically like sort of evacuate this situation here. Yeah. And when I saw his eyes and it was just to- this guy who's always chill and he's got intense eyes anyway, but like mm-hmm. I saw the fear in his eyes and I felt the fear myself. Yeah. That is exactly when I knew that this whole shit was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> like Whoa. joining a butcher shop, getting in way over my head, like put i mean taking on employees you yeah. know whose yeah. like livelihoods i was also responsible for right and just like sort of getting into bed with this whole business that is more or less just like a puff mm-hmm. you know it's all marketing in the end yeah. right it was it was rough and so i immediately you know refund everybody their money mm. who was there and i was like i'm sorry we have to cancel the brunch we have a kitchen fire you know, I hope that everyone can finish their drinks if they want. It's preferred if you finish them out front. Yeah. Um, but we got to, this has got to be done. And so I tried to call the owner for the next five hours. Jeez. Mm-mm. No response. Mm-mm. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what, to, I mean, like the cops were there. Yeah. The fire department uh, was there. Yeah. People from the BJCC were there. <laughs> Like I had people asking me like, so should we just go home? You know? And I, at the point was like more or less the general manager of this business right. at 24. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I, I, you know what, dude, like if you, if you're ready to go home and you want to go home right now, then like by all means go home. Mm-hmm. If you want to stay and see what kind of cleanup we can do in a little bit, then that's great. Yeah. But that was it. And wow. what a terrible omen for that business really? that that happened on January 1st <laughs> because it was just a total shit storm after that. And oh, I, God. by the end of February, I was gone. I turned in like 30 days heads up notice that I was going to be leaving. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like relationships were broken among our staff. Like people left. There was a big walkout. Jeez. It was, Damn. 
It was total shit. <laughs> it was not a good situation in the slightest. Yeah. How and much longer the, did the um did it last? Like, because it closed. Obviously, it's not there anymore. It, so at that point, they brought on like somebody else who worked at another similar kind of role. Mm-hmm. Um, the investors more or less muscled this owner, this other owner out, mm-hmm. the founder. And kind of put this other guy in a GM position. He had more, way more experience than I did mm-hmm. managing this kind of space. But overall, it was just like too large of a space. It was too expensive. Yeah. It was so bad. It yeah. was rough. Wow. That was a mistake, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. not good. All my hopes <laughs> went up in flames. That's crazy. Like, Literally. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. So that was rough. Yeah. And... <laughs> that was and so I was unemployed for like a month and a half after that and then I got a job as a bike mechanic. Um thanks to thanks to another connection and worked as a bike mechanic for a year and a half. It felt like I learned a ton, but then felt also kind of like I had peaked for a time. Mm-hmm. I got back into nonprofit world because of Disco Desert Island Supply Company. Yeah. Um we started to host a lot of cultural events and music events there. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time is when I started to work at make. And so I've had a couple of jobs since then, but that was like, that was the last like disaster situation. Yeah. Jeez. And informs a lot of what I think about day to day. I'm sure. At my current job. So looking back, what I wish that I had done, I mean, I didn't have any money, so it would have been mm. really hard to move or something. Yeah. Um, I wish that I had just gotten like some kind of service industry job. Yeah. Not been, not trying to be the general manager of a restaurant, <laughs> just but just been the, the like top. unemployee of the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like at the very beginning you were thinking you weren't going to be the exactly. general manager. You were just kind of like, Hey, I'll jump on board with this. Like maybe work front of house or something. And exactly. I was like, I'd love to sell everybody. wine. I love to be, you know, to, at the, at the time, uh, my yeah. girlfriend was doing that very thing and she was very great at it mm-hmm. in a fine dining setting. And I was like, I'm learning more about this. A lot of the stuff that she has to learn are the kind of things that I feel, you know, like I have the potential to be good at this. Yeah. And it was, is because I believed in a project at its very beginning that yeah. I was tracked into a much bigger management role than I could take on. Yeah. And it was also just a tainted project that went up again in literal flames. <laughs> that is crazy. It was wild. Jeez. It stresses me out just talking about it. But now I feel relaxed because we're, we're Good. done. Yeah. You let yeah. it go. You released it. <laughs> yeah. And it's recorded forever. That's in right. Yeah. It's, it's captured. <laughs> well, Man. do you have any lighthearted mistakes after that one? Um, I've got a pretty lighthearted one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll share it. Y'all have had a uh, y'all have had roommates before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You ever had a bad roommate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever had a, a roommate that like you were excited about and you felt really good about and it just didn't kind of work out? Uh. Uh. uh <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you've got a little something to talk yeah. about. Well, I was gonna say unless you want to include my ex husband, but. <laughs> It's maybe another podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you'd be excited and then it would just not work out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've had roommates in the past. How, how would you rate yourself as a roommate? Do you think that you're a good roommate? I think roommate? I'm a really good roommate. Same. I've never had any complaints besides my ex-husband. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> um, what? Okay, let's take a quick poll then okay. before we get into this. What do you think makes a good roommate? They clean up after themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Respect boundaries. Boundaries and the common space. Yeah, that's like, more what I mean by boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Um. What are some problem areas for picking up? I think dishes are huge. Um, I think if you have different ideas of what cleanliness is. Yeah. Ooh, I think we're getting a little preview of this mistake (laughs) here. I tend to be more on the OCD side, but I have to understand that not everyone has the same ideas of cleanliness as I do. Yeah. But um, there are things... I think I don't really let things get to me. If something is wrong or someone does not do things the way that I would do them, I realize like I can't expect everyone to read my mind. Of course. Yeah. And so I don't get too irritated with stuff, but I don't think that everyone else does that. And then there, there are things like respectful, like I had one roommate who just had like a revolving door of guys who would come in and Sounds exciting. <laughs> For her. Or dramatic. Yeah. It was just like weird because we never, we didn't even know people were there, you know? So we'd be like hanging out, doing normal stuff. And then there's a dude who just walks out of the room and it's a small place. And we're like, how long have you been there? But I don't know. Besides that, I don't think of other. Yeah. Well, <laughs> have I got a story filled with some of those very things here. Yeah. <laughs> So, a little background. Um, I met my girlfriend, Noelle, in, I guess it was the, while I was working at the farm. It was, so, spring of 2014. Uh, we hit it off great. Um, she was living alone at the time. I was living with my brother. And soon after that, because of an incident with a uh, stolen cat, um. I I said, maybe we should move in together so you can get out of the situation that you're in. Hmm. And so we moved in. And that was a lot of fun. We lived in Highland Park. It was a really beautiful apartment. It was very old. Mm-hmm. It was very drafty. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It was a really cool place. Um, but our goal was to, you know, to save money, maybe move, you know, to a larger city or something. And so we said, well... And also, we didn't have access to outside through just a door. There was mm-hmm. no balcony or anything yeah. on the third floor. Right. So you had to go down a bunch of stairs to get outside. Um, and for her especially, she was like, I really want to be able to go outside and have some little place. And so we said, all right, well, let's look for maybe a house in Avondale that's for rent. So we found a house in Avondale through a friend that was for rent. And... The the prospect of a yard is something that didn't totally materialize because we had like a mother-in-law's basement separate mm. place mm-hmm. downstairs and that sort of became the dog run um, for those that were living downstairs. Um, but we said, you know, the only way that this really makes sense is if we get a roommate and it's a two-bedroom, sort of the upstairs of this house. Um, and so we said, well, I think we can find a roommate. That's going to be okay. Um, and so we started shopping the, we just started putting the idea out there in conversations at, you know, bars, coffee shops around us. Whenever we just see people like, Hey, if you know anybody who's looking for a roommate 
And there was somebody that I went to college with, and I didn't know them that well during college, but I ended up, they had, during college, they had a big group house mm-hmm. of a bunch of sort of like nerdy type guys. And they hosted some great parties after game days mm. um, to the point that like at one point the current owner of trim tab brewing who was not living in Birmingham here yeah. came through on a DJ tour. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you all ever know um, kids got the disco, the mm-hmm. like bottle tree dance parties. Yeah. One of the DJs that founded that was like the opener for him, Sex Panther. Oh, wow. And it was in this house, and he had to tell us all to stop jumping because there were too many people inside the house. <laughs> and then the cops showed up, and they had like billy clubs. It was a wild... <laughs> it was a wild, raucous situation. <laughs> but that's those are the kind of parties that would be hosted there. Yeah. And so I didn't know him that well. I just knew him as one of the guys that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had started a... You know, he was around coffee shops in Birmingham. He was working as sort of an independent worker... And we had gotten to be friends through that stuff. And it turned out he was looking for a place to live because um, the place that he was living now was too expensive. He was paying a lot of money, more even than we were as a couple in our apartment. And we're like, well, hey, I think this is going to be great for everybody. You know, we'll charge him sort of a little bit more than ha- or a little bit more than. Yeah, a little bit more than an even split. Right. And we'll go from there. And we we're excited about it because it seemed like all of us had the same idea about this situation, which is that it's not just going to be a traditional like roommate situation. We're all here for the same idea, which is that at this point, you know, Noel and I are vegan. We are, we're, we're trying different. We, we go through these, you know, trials of like, let's reduce trash, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. let's, um, Let's try and grow as much food as we can inside the house and outside the house. Um, You know, we just have like fun projects that we start, but all of them are based around the idea of like communal living and a better world. Right. And we thought that this guy was into that too because of the conversations that we had had with him. And it seemed like our vision for this sort of like anarchist utopia, you know, as far as like just the home space was something that's going to work out. We right. invited him to join us at a climate action rally in March in Atlanta. And he did. And it seemed like all was good. And the first week that we moved into the house, he was in some other city. And so it was awesome. The house was great. The kitchen is humongous and we cook a lot. Yeah. And so it was an awesome situation. And then that week was up. <laughs> And this person, let's call him Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carl started to move his stuff in. And as Martha Ellen was saying, sometimes people have different expectations of cleanliness. And I think that that was something that we sort of picked up on right away. And that's okay. You know, those are things that you can negotiate, Mm -hmm. you know, among friends. But we didn't want to come in swinging like, right. um, what's that fucking plate doing there? Yeah. You know, you got to right. pick it up. We're just like, all right, well, we'll see how it goes. We'll do our best. We'll try and create a good environment, be a set a good example. Yeah. And so it just didn't, it didn't appear to be working. Hmm. The house was unclean. He was coming in all hours of the night. 
he was wearing really heavy boots. Mm. I mean, he was riding a motorcycle, so every time he would park outside of the house, it was really loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he would come in at all times of nights. Um, I think he drank a lot of alcohol at that time, and so he was maybe less aware of his surroundings when he was home as much. He wore these super heavy boots that would, like, stomp on everything. Mm-hmm. Every door got slammed. Yeah. And it was just like, why does it have to be that hard? Why? Let's just be more gentle. Right. You know, and, but we still like kind of liked him, you know, we would have conversations. They were kind of fun. Yeah. And it got to be, (laughs) it got to be that like just the basic things about living in a situation with somebody else were not there. Like, loud phone conversations at three in the morning like uh. coming and going smoking just like a whole pack of black american spirits every day yeah. i mean it was like it was weird and it became clear as well that like we are really good at cooking or i mean okay we're good at cooking sure yeah yeah, yeah. but like we cook a lot and it was clear that he was not that good at cooking and that was fine um but we would get a lot of the groceries. So let's say we, we're going to the grocery store. It's the summertime. Mm-hmm. We're going to get four, maybe five avocados. Yeah. And we'd come home. All of the avocados are used. What? In guacamole that Carl has prepared with no salt <laughs> and no lime juice. Mashed avocados. It's just mashed avocados <laughs> and like uncooked white onions <laughs> huh. like and it was like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> that's like, one thing with roommates it's like i don't i mean my roommate will text me every time she uses something of mine in the fridge and she's like hey i just drink one of your beers or something and i'm like that's really fine they've been sitting there for a while i'm probably not going to drink them i don't care thank you for letting me know yeah it's just common courtesy or like hey right. i didn't have enough eggs i used some of yours but yeah. And Unless you have that spoken rule of everything in the fridge is common ground. Yeah. But still and to use all still, of them? Yes. Exactly. That's what that's, I was about no, to say. That's thing, is just yeah. use like common sense too. Yeah. It's like avocados aren't cheap. Like, right. you know, don't use five of them. In well, if this person had ever bought groceries in that way, I think they might have known that. <laughs> yeah. <but>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so it appears that it's not totally working out quite as well so we have an intervention (laughs) we have a team meeting yeah (laughs) and i called the meeting and it was maybe a month and a half in and we all said that's fast right (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we're all sitting around this table and i'm like all right so i called the meeting you know and i use a lot of again as a person who runs a lot of other people in this world I use a lot of we terms instead yeah. of you terms yeah. you right. know, because we're not Soft perfect, you know? Yeah. yeah. Cer- like certainly sometimes I'll leave a cereal bowl out. Yeah. But it also like it, there was like blame going back and forth too between like me and Noel where I'd be like, Hey, you can't leave the single plate and fork out because then Carl will get confused. Right. You know, yeah. it was like working with a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so, there was all kinds of just not good animosity. So I tried in this meeting to be clear about it and it was abundantly 
obvious to us that he did not click on the level of just shared responsibility mm. at all. And so I tried to create some kind of system where we just had some agreed upon rules and specifics of that. And I think it was maybe like another month or so that the house was in disarray. The kitchen smelled of Uh -uh. things. It was maybe two in the morning. Noel and I were laying face up on the bed, just next to each other, staring at the ceiling, listening to our roommate play avant-garde jazz drums on his drum set. What? In the home at like 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. Uh, uh, How old was this guy? Older than I am. What? And at that point, Noel said, Chris, I don't know that we can do this. Yeah. Like, I don't know that we're going to last these 12 months. And I was trying to comfort her saying, it's only going to be another 10 months. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's only, it's less than a year away. Do you think that we can stick it out? We're saving a lot of money doing this. Um, And what she told me was this was a mistake. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is not good. Oh, God. And I'll tell you, it lasted for nine months total. We had maybe another four or five different interventions yeah. over the course of that time. Never we just, it. like, stopped. We had We had to come to different agreements about different things. Nothing ever really materialized the animosity between us got really strong because he knew that we were really unhappy with him and didn't like him, but we weren't, we didn't want to make that so obvious all the time. Yeah. It also became, um, it became clear to us as well that like, while we felt drawn into this, like, you know, common good concept that what we had mistaken maybe for someone who is drawn to like, the idea of like anarchy of like mutual aid and like looking after each other and just like common, like shared interests and all that stuff, which we were really drawn to Yeah, that his interest was just in looking at a lot of things and saying that's bullshit. Uh, and yeah. that he was actually someone who doesn't believe that racism exists <laughs> and doesn't believe that sexism exists and like kind of just became like a men's rights libertarian type oh, cool. at the end, like an incel. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Have we done? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> this is bad. Yeah. And it would be fine. I, it wouldn't be fine to like put up with somebody's bullshit like that. If we were, if we had a clean home, But instead, it was just not a clean home. Right. And so we were saying, all right, let's see if we can get him to leave at New Year's, which would have been the nine-month mark. Yeah. And then he started seeing somebody that I knew to be somebody that you don't leave your valuable stuff around. Oh. And I was like, this is not good. Yeah. This is extra not good. And so it was like Thanksgiving morning 
and Carl had chopped up probably all 10 of the potatoes <laughs> that were remaining in the bag <laughs> and poured like a three cups of canola oil into a pan yes. and was standing there in his boxers on a cold morning mm-hmm. stirring all of these with no salt in a pan and we were going to my parents house early that day and this person that um he was seeing was like staying in our house Mm -hmm. and i went into the kitchen and i was like carl can we talk about something and he was like yeah (laughs) and i said she can't live here and he was like oh she doesn't what do you mean and i was like she stayed here like almost every night for the last two weeks yeah and all of her stuff is in the car like all uh-huh. the stuff that she owns is in the car uh-huh. yeah and he was like what I, she's not on the lease and i was like exactly dude <laughs> she's not on the lease and he was like can we talk about this another time and i said yeah that's cool we can talk about it another time and so we set a date a meeting a week in advance yeah you know the point where you have to like schedule calendar meetings with yeah. your remain is usually yeah. not a good sign yeah so we had this meeting and we sat down and i think foolishly i started the conversation by talking about this person staying here as the primary mover of our discontent yeah instead of saying i think it's just not working out mm-hmm. but anyway he got very defensive about all this and when he got defensive about it, Noel, who had had nine months of pent up rage (laughs) for our roommate sat on one of our couches and just like egged him on, picked him apart. Yeah. And he got so angry and so flustered. And that's another time during this situation where I said this whole thing has been a humongous (laughs) mistake. And so we had to just like, we had to just say clearly in as plain English as we can, you're the problem. Yeah. (laughs) You're the problem. (laughs) The problem is you. You're the problem. This isn't working. We need you to move out. We need you to move out. (laughs) We need you to move out. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually it like hit and it was like, okay, okay, okay. And so for the next 30 days, I'd say almost two-thirds of those days, the person that I had said, please don't let her stay here, also stayed with us. Uh Of course, yeah. It was a bad situation, and then he moved out. Nice. Wow. And it was the perfect, (laughs) perfect lifting of a burden. Yeah. And that was amazing. And it was too expensive for the next, I don't know, six months. Yeah. But it was worth it. Nice. It was so worth it. And that is something that I do look back and consider to be a grave mistake. Yeah. But I also know that what that means for me now is that I know what is too much. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've gazed into the abyss (laughs) and the abyss has gazed right the fuck back. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. It was a devastating situation. 
all of my food gets cooked without me. Saltless. Without salt. Yeah, it's not even good. <laughs> it doesn't end up good. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's yeah. He might as well have just like thrown it into the trash. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was wow. so bad. All of my mistakes come down to being risk averse. Yeah. They all come down to me saying this that seems like the easy option is best. Instead yeah. of saying, let me do some research into yeah. this potentially shitty roommate. Yeah. You know, let yeah, me, yeah. let's get some references here. Can I yeah. see a resume from your past roommates? Yeah. Well, it's hard because I feel like when you go through college and like early adulthood, you're like, I need someone to live with. You need someone to live with. Let's just do it. And you don't really think about like actual cohabitation. Cause in college, yeah. like you barely see your roommate because you're going to classes and you both have separate lives. Or even if you have like parallel lives, like you, you don't communicate and you don't have to like figure out a lot of stuff. But when you're yeah. working and it's like, I mean, I work at home, so I'm home all the time and thank God I have an amazing roommate. But I mean, it's the other thing is like when you have a roommate and they're always home, mm. you can't always be home. Yeah. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And then it becomes like, who's home? Which one is the home one? Right. Yeah. And then what ha- What do you do when you're not home? You go to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then you end or up you spending more. Like, yeah. You like. Yeah. It's just not good. My yeah. roommate and I have like this understanding. Like if we're both home, because we're both, we work for ourselves, but she has a studio space and I just work from home. Um, if we're home and our doors are shut, it doesn't mean that we don't want to communicate. It just means we are having our own just time. Just your time, yeah. And... You know, if we want to talk to each other, we'll just knock on each other's doors. But it doesn't mean like, I don't want to talk to you. It's just we have our space, which is impressive in how small our... I mean, our rooms are this far apart, like very close, which is like, I don't know, three feet Mm -hmm. apart. And our whole apartment is the size of this bedroom plus, you know, two more. (laughs) Wow. So it's a small place, but we cohabitate very well and rarely see each other. Yeah. Well, the place that um, I'm living in now with my girlfriend is less than 400 square feet. Mm. Oh, wow. It is a studio. Yeah. It is small. Yeah. And I have none of that as a mistake. I don't have any regrets about it. Um, but I'll just go ahead and say that it is very small. Yeah. <laughs> we, because yeah. we were trying to downsize, trying to save money. Mm-hmm. We had at that point a two bedroom apartment. Yeah. And a shit ton of yard space. And it was like, we don't have to use all this. Right. It's hard to clean. It's like cleaning a building. Yeah. Yeah. So we said, what's the smallest apartment we can find? (laughs) And we'll see how that works. And it is not without challenges. Sure. But not a mistake because I trust and believe (laughs) that things are going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some mistakes. We have. We have. They're downer mistakes. They're not... super fun mistakes yeah they're not like oh but i learned and i'm so great now god yeah (laughs) it's just being in over your head man yeah i've been there yeah if you haven't it's coming true (laughs) i've never set a place on or witnessed a place that i am managing be caught on fire but have you ever had to use a fire extinguisher no i haven't i don't think i know how to i've had to put i mean i assume it's pretty easy but yeah yeah you just pull the pin or you, you i think you've yeah you pull the pin and that's what allows you to pull the handle. Yeah. Okay. But it's easy. A critical step before that is to point the hose in the right direction. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big step. Yeah. 
I mean, I, working in the makerspace, I've got a crazy nose for when I smell smoke now mm-hmm. huh. because like I'm responsible for everything, you right. know, yeah. and I'm responsible for a, a kiln room yeah. where we've got five kilns that almost daily go to 2000 degrees yeah. cool. to bake the ceramics. Right. And so like, I just always got to know. And so I've been all the way across the facility and the, the 30 rock episode where Al Gore is there mm. and he stops at the end and he says, wait, a whale is in danger. <laughs> and he just leaves because like, yeah. he's like the <laughs> superhero, green superhero. Right. Um, that's me, but it's for smelling smoke <laughs> at make where it's like, wait a second, something's wrong. And I just like power walk through the facility <laughs> And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, yeah, we just used paper towels to, like, boost up this thing in the kiln. They're going to burn off. And I was like, okay, just I got to sure. know. Yeah. I got to know. <laughs> you know, or, like, somebody. Impressive power to have. Somebody walks in. or Somebody just knew, and they're going to just be a laptop worker in the digital co-working uh-huh. area. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, great. So here's the bathroom. Here's these things. Here's the fire extinguisher. Do you know where the fire extinguisher <laughs> is? It's here. Do you know how to use it? Okay, great. Hey, you learn from your mistake. That's exactly right. You, it was beneficial in yeah. some way. So it wasn't really a mistake. You no, from you totally yeah. learned from that. You know, okay, <laughs> uh, are y'all Harry Potter readers and viewers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I, I'll tell you more than anything, what I, what I'm leaning in. You really got into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a Van Halen moment. That's, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hot for teacher. <laughs> No, what I learned most from that situation is very similar to what I, the, we're talking about the fire now, mm-hmm. um, is very similar to what I learned from the very end of the Prisoner of Azkaban book when, so you, to recap for our listeners, yes. um, Prisoner of Azkaban, Sirius Black, Harry's, um, you know, seemingly the villain of the book, but later we find out is Harry's uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, or his like godfather, I guess, um, is scheduled to be killed by the state. Right. Um, and at the very end, Ron is incapacitated, but Harry and Hermione have to go back in time using Hermione's time turner, which she's used all year to get to way too many classes mm. in order to go back and save in the end, both Sirius and Buck, uh, Buckbeak, the Hippogriff. But what that means is that the first time that all these events happen, Harry almost dies. He almost gets the the kiss of death mm-hmm. by the Dementors swirling around him in the woods. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're only fought off by what he sees as his own father across the lake, casting the most brilliant... Patronus charm Mm -hmm. that he's ever seen. Um, And he knows that it's his dad because it looks a little bit like him, but also because it's a stag, but unlike the stag Patronuses that he casts, it is like full of life. It's so amazing. And it brushes off all these Dementors. And that's how he gets back into the hospital wing where Dumbledore says, you got to go back in time, buddy. Um, And so, Later on, when Harry and Hermione are back in time, they're going through the same thing. They're seeing all, they're seeing their own movements again. Mm-hmm. And they find themselves watching Harry from the past be 
overtaken by these dementors and Hermione's like we have to do something and Harry's like no it's okay my dad's gonna be right here Mm -hmm. like basically right exactly where we are yeah and she's like Harry nobody is coming yeah yeah like not a single person is coming for you right and he like in this moment of clarity um as alcoholics call it (laughs) (laughs) uh he realizes that nobody is coming for him yeah that there is no dad it's literally him like he is the person that has to save himself right Mm -hmm. and he's like it's me and he steps up and realizes i don't have to have any fear which is what Dementors, you know, feed on. Uh, yeah, it's what they feed on. Like yeah. you are the prey because of what they make you feel, mm. um, which is total fear. Right. He has no fear that he's not going to perform in a moment like that because he just totally knows. And so he casts again the most brilliant Patronus charm in the whole series mm-hmm. to ward off these Dementors and save his previous self. And it, I think it's out of a book series that I loved. Um, I think it's the most like impactful scene out of all yeah. of it, which yeah. is just that like nobody is going to save you. Right. Nobody is going to do anything for yourself. You have to just do it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Shia LaBeouf yeah. again. Yeah. Like, just do it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> some it. people uh, dream of success and other people <laughs> wake up and work hard at it. <laughs> don't, let your, don't let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> um <laughs> So all this to say, you are Harry Potter and Shia LaBeouf. Harry Potter and Shia LaBeouf, and the thing <laughs> is, so is everybody. Yeah. Mm. If the kiln is on fire, nobody is going to put it out. Right. You have to grab that fire extinguisher, <laughs> Just do it. point, and like blast out that Patronus. <laughs> <laughs> to just totally put out the fire. This is the same speech that you give to every new member at Make. <laughs> <laughs> so, Johnny? That's right, yeah. You'll recall at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. I haven't thought about that, but if any, if any of our listeners will someday be members, you can look forward to this yeah. exact speech. That's amazing. Yeah. That was beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so I sometimes you make mistakes, but sometimes you step up. Yeah. It's sometimes you just have to. Yeah, you just got to step up. <laughs> Cast that no Patronus. No one else is going to. Just do it. Just do yeah. it. Just do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Just, just. Just. Do it. <laughs> that was good. I've watched it a lot yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Recently, it's very inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> I need to rewatch that. Uh, yeah, it's it's worth a watch. Maybe once a month. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah. Well, on that note, do you have anything to plug? <laughs> I do have a podcast. Mm-hmm. It contains lengthy episodes about <laughs> stuff that your boyfriend likes, and that's French fries, mm-hmm. Star Wars, coming of age, fictional crushes, <laughs> important dates in American history. Um, historical moments that are just like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, great chase scenes. Movies that inspire a lot of terror. Okay. A lot of lot of pop culture stuff. Yeah. Um, good. It is called My Boyfriend's Podcast. <laughs> and you can listen to My Boyfriend's Podcast <laughs> on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever good podcasts 
are seen and nice. heard. Nice. You How can, many episodes in are y'all? We are, I think, 14 episodes in. Cool. Nice. Yeah. It's me and my two boys, my two <laughs> boyfriends, Walt and Tim. Except their husbands. Yeah. Uh, that's something good to plug. Uh-huh. Um, Make Birmingham is always really cool. I yeah. We host the Loft Show. So do that. Which Loft Show rules. Awesome. Come to the Loft <laughs> Show. Yeah. yeah. Last Friday of every month. Yep. There you go. Make. Uh, are you going to host one in December? Yeah. Mm-hmm. December 28th. Wow. Yeah. And that stretch where nobody does shit. I know. Well, maybe we'll they'll all come to us. We'll see. They'll be it's all the people that are still in town. Yeah. We got true. stuff yeah. for you. If you're listening and you're yeah. going to be in town between Christmas and New Year's, we we'll got tunes, we got art. Yeah. That's right. It's going to be a good show. I would encourage all of our listeners to vote in early November. Mm. Very true. It's point. coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly. And uh I'm going to go ahead and say don't vote for any racists. I stand behind that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Three, three to none. There you three go. Three to none. Racism loses. It's done. <laughs> Racism is over. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's over. I'm just saying they lost this time. They lost this podcast. Yep. That's right. Unanimous votes. All right. Well, thank you for having me. On Thanks the for being on. Thanks for yeah. being here. This is very enjoyable. Really I'm on the it. casting mattress. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Glad That's, you enjoyed it. Um, sounds a lot seedier than... I hope it is. Yeah, it's not that bad. <laughs> Good. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, welcome to our podcast. You can just go ahead and sit on the bed. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then, I am a little nervous to tell the guests where they're going to sit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for being here. All right. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Thanks everybody right. for listening. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. This has been a mistake. <laughs> no. Hey, oh no! <laughs> this is great. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye. This is a mistake. Wow. I was just so confident, which is another personality thing about yeah. me <laughs> for our listeners. Four years old. You knew what you wanted to name your brother. Yeah. He got it. It was a great time. I mean, I didn't know anything about 90210 at the time. Yeah. I couldn't comprehend what was going you on TV. Four. Brandon was just a hottie. He, no, it's in the, uh, it's in the opening sequence. I think he's in a convertible uh-huh. and he has sunglasses on and okay. he like pulls them down and yeah. looks and then puts them back up. And I was like, cool I want dude. that guy to be my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>